Many of the conversations that explore important social, cultural, and political issues today are centered around the pain, loss, and suffering of people. While, of course, it is important to acknowledge and recognize people's hardships, it's also important to recognize how much of a disservice we do to ourselves and to one another if we only ever experience the stories of people through their pain, their loss, or their grief. After all, all of us are more than the sum of our suffering. And all those who experience hardship, marginalization, and oppression have so much more to offer than simply their sadness. What do we lose as a society when we only experience a person, a group of people, or an entire culture through our pain or our shared losses and not our joys, successes, or humor? From the New Story Company, this is The New Story Is, a podcast that explores the stories, perceptions, and ideas that have come to shape the world today as we know it. Along the way, we speak to talented guests who are championing the new stories that may shape our collective future for the good. I'm Dave Ursillo. We're joined today by Ali Frank and Acha Humans, multi-published authors, novelists, and former educators who use humor, joy, and compassion to write stories that encourage candid conversations about issues such as race, religion, culture, class, privilege, parenting, and education. Ali and Asha found themselves literary soulmates in one another after working together as teacher and school administrator in Seattle, Washington. That's when they discovered their shared mission as educators and as authors. Ali, who identifies as white and Jewish, and Asha, who identifies as black and Baptist, bring their very different cultural backgrounds and perspectives together to write in one seamless, cohesive voice, united in their belief that humor and fiction can inspire empathy and learning, and that exposure to diverse experiences can only enrich one's life. Together, they have authored three novels. Their latest book is The Better Half, which was named an Entertainment Weekly Best Book of Summer and an AARP Hot Summer Read in 2023. The Better Half is a hilarious, heartfelt story that follows a smart, talented, and driven woman who, at the age of 43, feels like she's reached the pinnacle of career success. That's when a sudden romance and unexpected pregnancy throw her life for a loop. The Better Half captivated actress and comedian Mindy Kaling, whose book imprint with Amazon Publishing, called Mindy's Book Studio, published their novel on July 1st, 2023. Ali and Asha, welcome to The New Story Is, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Dave. Thanks. So, Ali, I'd love to start with you, if I may. As longtime educators, and now you and Asha are both multi-published authors together, I know you aim to promote candid conversations about social issues that have come to define the times in which we live. So I want to start by asking you, in the better half, how do you see this book and this story as contributing to these discussions, particularly around the themes of race and gender and parenting today that are that are in the story that you tell? Well, interesting for us, we seem to have this uncanny, I don't even know what to call it, uh, early niggling about what's coming up in our culture. And we started writing the better half before, um, or I should say, when the conversation around the dismantling of Roe v. Wade was, oh, that'll never happen. Oh, that can't possibly happen. 
And we were really interested in exploring this idea of a Black first-generation, very successful woman who, in her 40s, when she's raised a child, she has all the love and compassion and financial support um, to be able to raise another child, has already done it, and she's moving on to the next half of her life. Because much of the conversation of pro-choice um, and choice is around those who are younger, those who are less stable in their financial lives, those who are disenfranchised. But there's not a lot of conversation around women who are older for whom want, they want that choice because they're in a different stage in their life. So the initial diving into this book was more around that conversation of choice for women at a different age and stage in their life. And um, for us, that setting became even more curious when you put it in the context of a school, because I think a lot of people consider that, oh, well, if someone's an educator, they love children. They'll always want to have more kids. And then when you also marry that with a Black woman for whom this idea of, well, Black women are raising kids on their own all the time. Like, of course, they're going to have a kid. That was just so much more complex on this issue of choice. So that was really how we launched that book. And then our other big theme in the book that we were super excited to explore, and Asha, jump in, because I feel like I was even more curious about this than you were initially, is the Zora Neale Hurston quote of not all skin folk are kin folk. And we have in the book two Black characters who are not cut of the same cloth. And as a culture, we often look at whole groups that are considered minorities in our culture, whether it be Black or Jewish or Muslim or Latino, and we think one person can speak for a whole group. But yet in our book, we have set up to Black people who are very different in how they see the world, how they interact in the world, and in fact, flash. And for me, that was a really fun part of the book to explore. Hasha, yeah. What comes up for you when you think about the themes that, that were setting up the this book that you're telling and the story that you're telling? Um, as far as the issue on parenting and becoming a parent later in life, it was important for me to stress the fact that the choice is what matters. It's not the reason behind it. Um, this woman is fully capable, as Ali was saying, of obviously creating a child, but also loving, nurturing, and caring for one. But she wasn't sure what she wanted to do. And her first reaction was, I don't want to do this. And that is enough of a reason for a woman to have <clears throat> dominion over her body and her future. Uh, the other theme that Allie mentioned um, is something that I've definitely had personal experience with. Living in the Pacific Northwest, where our the population of uh, Black residents here is so minuscule compared to the national average, 
that I have often been in spaces where I was the only brown face, black face, black woman in a room. And when issues around uh, social aspects of that identity came up, all eyes swiveled towards me as if I am the monolith of the culture. And I want to stress that we are as varied as we are as humans among the race of Black people, just like every other group is. Um, things like the region where I was raised influence my point of view. I guarantee you that I have uh, thoughts and practices vastly different from Black women in the South, Black women in the Northeast, Black women in the Southwest. I want to learn about how even that effect affects their point of view. Um, so, I, and I think Allie and I do that well, putting in all aspects of our character to explain why they feel the way they do as an immigrant, as a woman, as the head of a school, as a well-to-do person. Those all influence our characters, and we hope to show we show that well in the better half. One of the one of the most fun aspects of a novel to me is that you get to step into a person, a character's experience, like into their mind, into how they see the world. And it's it's like you're almost inhabiting your your own different worldview or world experience through them. And what I'm hearing from from you both is that in the creation of your characters, you mentioned your your protagonist Nina, who is a black professional woman. She's on top of her career. This unexpected pregnancy happens. Um, subverting some of the expectations and maybe some of the stereotypes that because of somebody's racial or sexual or gender identity that they're going to have, like, they, they, uh, that either they represent the, the whole diverse group of people um, that, that they're a part of um, based on those identities, um, but also emphasizing the importance of choice as, as paramount for choices sake, for its own sake, um, rather than a justification of, of the choices that somebody's making, which from my male point of view as a as a as a as a man i feel like there's this in the patriarchal and misogynistic society in which we live i often see women have feeling like they are pressured to justify a choice that they make whether it's a yes but especially if it's a no whereas a man doesn't necessarily have to do that it's like we have this unconscious um bias to respect a man making a choice yes or no but when a woman makes a choice, yes or no, there's a implicit or explicit pressure for them to justify it and for their justification to mirror my own or the the others, like the the males, the power holders, the society's um, value judgment on whether that choice is right or wrong by society, like writ large, so like a male society. So it sounds like that theme is also coming up too. Now we're talking about some very important issues and very important topics uh, and very serious ones, but I did mention in that intro, Asha and Ali, that um, in the time in which we live, we do tend to, especially in the news, especially in nonfiction books, uh, maybe overemphasize the, the the negativity bias, the, the pain and the suffering and the hardship of people, which, like we are all saying, is really important to understand and empathize with. But you all are also humorists. You're, you're comedy writers in a lot of senses and use humor to explore these subjects. And so, Asha, I want to turn it over to you to start. To, uh, and I want to ask you about, in this moment in which we're living, it's a little bit of a touchy uh, cultural moment, a lot of sensitivity, a lot of reactivity, um, you know, criticisms both ways from both sides of the aisle about cancel culture, um, 
book banning is is a trend these days that we've been talking about on the podcast, even if it's a small number of people who seem to be accelerating and amplifying this as if it's a, a bigger effect and it is a, an important issue. But humor, what are the challenges of writing a humor-based story, a, com- a comedic story about these important issues? And I wonder also to ask you not only about the challenges, but also the opportunities. What opportunities does, does a humor uh, based approach give you and, and Ali as authors to talk about these things in a way that maybe also defies expectations and, and usurps, um, you know, stereotypes and things? Well, first of all, I think humor is so individual. It's like telling somebody that uh, Brussels sprouts are delicious. If they hate Brussels sprouts, how am I going to convince them that they're so delicious? That's up to them. It's very similar with a joke. On some people's ears, a joke can land with a thud. It can land with an insult. And other people might be bowled over by it. So I just think that when we're writing together and we're thinking about things that are funny to us, we know they may not be funny to other people. But uh, we understand that our words and our books aren't going to reach every living soul out there. And that's okay. I haven't read every book. Um, we're trying to reach those people who, for whom um, difficult issues are hard to take in. If someone is a very sensitive person, maybe they can't read about the horrors of the Holocaust, the terrors of slavery, the um, lasting impacts of Jim Crow. Um, but maybe they can hear a story about it and laugh and want to know more. We try to reach those people who um, have a heart that wants to learn but doesn't have an avenue. And we hope our book of fiction uh, is that avenue for them. As teachers, we realize how important fiction is to develop empathy in children. We read them picture books about bears and rabbits and in real life situations so that they can put themselves there with ease and learn those skills of empathy and how to um, sympathize with their neighbor. This is that kind of effort for us. We want our readers to think about our characters and go, oh my gosh, I want to be friends with those two. Because that type of friendship can lead to more easy dialogue. Um, Fewer feelings hurt when you're corrected on something. I always tell my white friends, you know, you need some black friends so they can tell you what when you're out of line and how to come back and hear it from a loving voice. That happens between Allie and I often. As a Jewish woman, I've learned so much from her about that experience, about that history, about that richness of culture. And it comes from a deepening of a relationship. Um, and fiction it's really hard to be mad at someone when you're writing in a humorous voice and they're laughing and smiling. Um, They're telling you a story that they can relate to and you suddenly giggle. Contentious conversations often get eased. And that's what we want um, to come out of our stories. Uh, You were talking about the history before of, um, of, of, learning about people through drama and trauma. You know, there's a reason that Allie and I are still here. She is 
a, a person for that has come from a generation that was um, incarcerated, um, nearly devastated. But she's here for a reason. It's because those people that came before her still knew that life is awesome and joyful. They kept having kids. And we're still here as a representative of that. We appreciate the the dark history of every people on this planet. But we feel like we can really, really connect and heal from the joyful and joyful moments. Allie, do you have any follow-ups to that? My only follow-up would be that Asha and I don't want any one person a group or a group of people to be reduced to their worst time in history. That's just reductive and it's very simplified of a person or a group of people. And, you know, for us, our mission to really harness the joy and the beauty and the humor um, of challenging topics crystallized in the spring of 2020 as we watched and as it was encouraged for many people, particularly white people, to turn to a long list and many wonderful nonfiction books, like all brilliantly written by brilliant people, but all on very dark and challenging topics and times. And as educators, we really struggled with the notion that this was the only way you could learn about a group of people is to feel their pain of a particular time. And we just wanted to offer um, a different lens. And I would say, Ash and I talk about it all the time, that our Sort of, you know, everyone has a um, a mentor, if you will, and our mentor writing or storytelling is really the show Will and Grace. What that show did for um, the LGBTQ community was phenomenal, and many would argue did more than all the retelling of the harder times throughout history. And it was because it was a entry for many people that they wouldn't have taken otherwise because it was an entry through joy and love and humor. So we hold that show and that storyline up as our sort of, you know, golden pedestal all the time when we think about our mission and our writing and what we're doing. Yeah, I'm reminded of some conversations we've been having uh, on the podcast recently about the power of play and playfulness, which is, you know, a synonym for like joy, laughter, humor, um, all kind of grouped together to this, you know, overarching feeling of our emotion of happiness, which is that it allows for a lasting sense of psychological safety. And Learning, like learning, is is con- conducive in that kind of a, of an environment, whether it's for young people or for for adults. And that's what I'm hearing you both express in your own ways: is that there are other vessels for learning, that there are other vessels for exposure to difficult topics and ideas. There are other ways to open somebody up 
to empathy, to consider a different experience than their own life's experience. And that humor, playfulness, levity can can break down maybe some of the walls that have been built up there psychologically or the the fear or the resistance that someone might have to thinking about something in a different way. And, and humor can kind of maybe break those walls down a little bit. Um, so I'd love to talk to you about your your book, The Better Half, and, and the content a little bit more. We started talking about it already. We mentioned your protagonist, Nina, who's who's now facing uh, balancing her professional ambitions and her life plans with an unexpected pregnancy. Um, and, and there's also a, a an interracial relationship dynamic with Nina and and her uh, unexpected unexpected partner Leo. So Asha, if I could turn it back over to you, I'm, I'm wondering about how you wanted to explore this relationship with your character Nina and with the character of um, uh, of Leo. Was this? I imagine it was explicit. I imagine it was a deliberate choice. Um, was this based uh, for either of you on a, a personal experience of having an interracial uh, or interracial relationship, or did you feel called to specifically examine uh, the subject, the theme of of race, and through the lens of like an intimate interpersonal relationship? So, was it like a, a, a were you citing something from personal experience or personal interest, or was it a theme that you were picking up in the culture and wanted to call attention to and explore through your characters? Do you know a little bit something about that, Asha? Hmm. <laughs> well, Dave, I've had one date in my life, okay? One date. And I'll tell you that that date was a little over 33 years ago, and the guy's in, in his office right now in the back room. And, and that guy happens to be a white guy. And uh, From yes. the, one of the whitest towns in America. Very, very the first of um, four sons of his parents to bring home a girl. And this is the face that he had to bring home. And, you know, I still remember the look on my mother-in-law's face when she first met me and I was introduced as his girlfriend. And uh, although she might be horrified to hear this story, it, it kind of made me giggle. I mean, it was such a look of fear. But I had grown up in a multicolored family from... Um, you know, very curly blonde hair and blue eyes to darker than me, um, you know, all sorts of hair lengths, heights, shapes. And the diversity of family was an easy thing for me to embrace. But I understand that it's not an easy thing for everyone yet. Um, I did have a book club with a group of black women. And one thing that they wanted to know the most about was, what about this interracial relationship? What is that about? And I got to talk about myself. It wasn't something they were used to seeing a lot of in their community. Um, so Leo and Nina, I do have some experience with that type of relationship. And I really wanted to show how fatherhood um it's, can, it, it's so important to uh, this man that he would put himself out of his own cultural comfort to figure out how to do it for his coming uh, mixed-race child. It's something that I definitely had to uh, um, work through in my own family. I have two sons. They identify as Black, although they are um, ethnically, it's not easy to tell what they are if you're just looking at them. So they are often mis 
ethnicized, I suppose. Um, oftentimes it makes me laugh when someone speaks to them in Hindu right away and they're looking confused. They're like, what, is this person talking to me? Um, it gives me a little chuckle. And it also opens up a conversation with the person who's speaking to them. Um, my husband had to turn over some life lessons for my own sons. Things like what to do when you're pulled over um, by law enforcement. The things that you need to do to keep safe. How you make sure you survive in this world. We're not talking about rights and freedom here. I want you to come home at night. And so there may be some amendments you have to make in your life. But what matters is you come home at night. So those lessons were given over to my father, my brother, to impart onto my sons. It was a community effort, and it's something that I think we did well with reflecting how Leo goes about educating himself to prepare himself for raising a child who will be from a different culture, will be a different ethnicity. Allie, uh, I want to ask you about Marisol, who who plays an important role in this story as well. She mm -hmm. is the best friend of your protagonist, Nina, and they have a really important uh, friendship throughout the story. You depict different complexities of female friendship um, and support systems and the influence that these friendships can have on someone's life choices. Similar question for you about this character, Marisol. Uh, is the dynamic between Nina and Marisol something that has played out between you and your co-author, Asha? Um, did you source any of the material for their relationship based on your own experiences and being friends uh, of many years now, but also being co-authors and collaborators collaborators who work really closely, and we'll talk about this in a moment, work really closely together to come to like perfect cohesion, basically, and how you tell these stories together. What comes up for you when you think about the dynamic between your characters, Nina and Marisol? Well, Asha and I are very good friends. I mean, at this point, we're almost more married than we are to our husbands. So that's it's such a unique relationship that we have. But in all our books, in our first one, Tiny Imperfections, and our second one, Never Meant to Meet You, and now The Better Half, we always have very close and tight and supportive ride-or-die friendships. Asha and I, in our individuality, really have those, and we have never been women who have placed you know, all our need for love and support on our spouses. They're, they serve part of our world, but our girlfriends support another part of our world. And the, I would say the purpose of these friendships in female friendships in all our books is really to demonstrate that we are writing what we call com-rom rather than rom-com. There is always a love interest, but that love interest is not the ultimate fulfilling of our protagonist's life, that she always has a very full life, unbelievably supportive family ties, female ties, um, you know, a typical relationship of children, and when that partner or love scenario comes along, it wasn't needed to make her life better. 
but it comes along and it enhances her life. So more than representing our friendship, we have really wanted to put out books of women that have such beautifully fulfilled lives. And they're like, oh, look, there's a cherry on top. And that cherry on top is the romantic piece. It's not the whole Sunday. Yeah. So not centering the entire story or the existence of your of your woman character, your lead character around her relationship to men or her relationship to other people, but her her, her herself and her life and then the the comedy of that story, but then the the romantic angle sounds like complementing and enhancing her life in a specific way, but not being her whole world, like a lot of let's let's face it, stories that are written by men about about women. Um and like this kind of like Prince Charming fantasy that that still exists in the culture today, um, fulfilling a woman's you know, emotional world completely, which I really appreciate. I love that distinction of comrom as opposed to rom-com. Uh, it sounds like a good transition here to talk about how your your book is being published by Mindy Kaling the of The Office fame, among many other works and projects. She's a prolific comedian and creative. Um, and I wonder if you and, and Ali, uh, Asha, have had the chance to either meet or speak with Mindy or more likely her her people there's a there's a lot of people who are working um underneath her and and helping to publish your book um and specifically I'm curious about if there've been any high level conversations um within this um publishing imprint about um the importance of having these women centered stories being proliferated more in the pop culture today without, you know, broaching privacy or confidentiality or anything. Uh, have you had any conversations like that from a strategic point of view and like what the mission is of this imprint to get not only your book, but other books from other women and women of color and women from, you know, various identities out into the culture today? Well, that is the mission of Mindy Kaling's, um, Mindy's book studio imprint with Amazon is it was her desire to find and curate and encourage established and new writer uh, writers of color, women writers of color, um, with diverse voices um, from diverse backgrounds, and to bring their authentic stories to readers. And she found us with our story. We found her with wanting to work with someone as talented as she. And so far, it's been a an incredible um, working relationship. Now, I will tell you that I traveled to New York to do some work with um, Amazon, some promo work. And yeah, I was there too. Well, yeah, Allie was along. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she was sitting next to me. Um, <laughs> and I had a script that my son had given to me. My son is an actor in New York. He had given me a script from The Office, one of our family's favorite shows. It was the very first American written script. The, the pilot was based on the um, British version of the television show. So I brought my script with me thinking, oh my gosh, I've had this thing in plastic for years. And by the way, it's the um, episode titled Diversity Day. Hilarious. Um, and I remember it well. He's one of the writers on um, that episode. So I brought my script with me thinking, oh my gosh, I'm fine. I'm going to get Mindy to sign my script. And let me tell you, she's busy. She is out there going to the White House, receiving her Presidential Medal of Arts uh, Award from the president himself, 
meeting Kamala Harris um, in the last season of her show, um, Never Have I Ever. Never um, meant to meet you. That, no, no, no. The her no, show. Up her book. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> See, I told you we'd we'd mess up something and tease each other about it. Who wrote it? Asha and Ali, Mindy yeah. Kaling. Who can say? Exactly. But she is such a comedic talent, and she has done some amazing writing about these same issues that we write about with bravery um, and on the edge of what people might criticize an artist for, um, what some groups may cancel someone like her for. And we we were jump, jumping at the chance to work with her because um, we feel like we are hopeful to push those same type of boundaries, making people laugh and think at the same time. And it's all right to be in opposition with opinions. We can still be friends. Allie and I write together. We don't agree on every single thing. I have my point of view. She has hers. But we figure it out to get um, these books done. And it's certainly possible. But yes, we've worked with Mindy Kaling's team. They're all amazing, fabulous, um, supportive. And we uh, can't wait to continue and see what it brings us. Well, and I would just like to add to that that um, so we're the third book of her imprint. And all three books so far have been written by women in their middle stage of life. So we also really appreciate that Mindy Book Studios is making a statement like, women are still funny. They're still viable. They still can have commentary on challenging subjects, even in the middle of their life. Um, because often we get canceled out by the time we're hitting our mid-40s. And so that's also very appreciated as well, that we're recognized um, for our wisdom, but also our comedic talent, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that one of those experiences in life, especially for women in our culture, that is, is so dramatically underrepresented. It's good to see some of that tide turning, especially with with different um, media projects like in TV and in, in maybe less so in movies, but especially in books and in literature. It's great to see that Mindy's Book Studio is making a point to to emphasize that. Um, uh, Allie, if we could stay with you for a moment, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your writing process. We're rounding towards the, the end of our interview already, uh, but you both have, have already mentioned that you write collaboratively. I know that you even write sometimes in person together so that you can um, be together in the writing process, especially for you know important parts of your story or finishing the, the story that you're writing. I know that you each don't segment um, like your voices or your writing to characters that match or mirror your own identities and experiences that you kind of collaboratively write each character uh, or all characters together. Could you tell us, Allie, a little bit about how you go about this process of combining your perspectives and experiences, but also do so in a way that creates a cohesive narrative? Just how much communication and I'm thinking like patience and understanding and grace go into co-writing an entire novel together, let alone three and soon to be four. Sure. And if I go on too long and you two start to nod off, just let me know. <laughs> um, I'll but, get my playoff music uh, yeah. in the background. 
Uh, first and foremost, Asha and I always made the commitment to one another that we would write from a voice of humanity first and then race, religion, gender, life scenario would follow. So the number one reason that we literally do everything together down to the a comma or a dash is because we aren't writing from our race or individual experiences first, but we are both human living a human experience in a very complex world. And so when we talk to people about how we write, a lot of folks look at us like, oh my God, that sounds so time consuming and exhausting, but it's all for this greater purpose of writing from humanity. And we will also say, saves us a ton of time on the editing back end, which I'll get to in a minute. So one of our, and we did not know this, Dave, going in. So this is like the ignorance is bliss, our first book scenario. But it just happened to turn out that my strengths are Asha's weaknesses and vice versa. So we always say like we do really bad math and one plus one equals one good writer. That was not known going into it, but that's how it turned out. So generally, I am really the plot and the story keeper. I see the whole arc. I see the twists. I see the turns. Um, Asha is much more the depth of emotion of the characters. Uh, and I, you know, I don't totally want to call myself out, but literally I'll call Asha and say, all right, so I have the emotional depth of the squirrel on this. So you got to figure out what the reactions are. I don't know. But so I will get down a, you know, the story on, you know, the first three chapters, but they're about an inch deep on uh, seal and emotional intelligence. Let's say the EQ of the story. I send that off to Asha She with a whole bunch of questions. She goes through those more deeper weeds. And then I do the next three chapters. And we're leapfrogging back and forth that way. But that is just to get the story down. That's just like the ugly we would never show anyone. Even if we were like being tortured, we would never let anyone see that draft. But then from there, we spend multiple, and I'm saying like six to nine times before it even goes to our editor, side by side, reading the story out loud. Asha's a phenomenal mimic and actor. So Asha's always doing the reader reading, and I'm at the computer, and that's where we really dig through every sentence, every emotion, twist, turn. And that's our biggest side-by-side -side time. And it takes a lot of time and it is really draining. And it's when we, you know, end up laughing hysterically at something that we think is so brilliant. Um, but also where we will come to blows over things as well. Sometimes they're really difficult um, conversations about race. Sometimes it's just about, you know, a tertiary character's reaction and we're like fighting about it. And they're like, 
wait a minute, why are we fighting about this guy doesn't matter that much. So we really get into it. And for a lot of people, that seems like a super slow, laborious time. And it is. But when we do that half a dozen times, on the back end, when it goes to our editor, our editing time, for a lot of people, they'll edit a book with their editor for a year. We're at about like three to four months to get that book to the place that we all are happy and really want it. So that's how we work together. But the other part of that that no one might count as like work time, but it all flows into our story, is we talk all the time about life. Everything from, you know, planting flowers in the spring, how boring, to the weather, to our kids, to what's happening in the news, to, you know, a dumb pair of pajamas. And we have matching pajamas from Amazon. I mean, that's like a whole conversation, right? Just the dumb mundanity of life. And that all feeds into how we can create real characters. Um, and we're friends, so we want to talk about those things. But that, you know, a lot of people are like, you just jump in and start writing. You got to get your butt in the seat and write. And yes, we do that. We just spend a ton of time talking about life. Did I get that and word, Asha? What do you think? Yeah, Asha, yeah, what's your reaction? Yeah, you did good. The only thing is, is that if we actually came to blows, that even though Allie's taller than me, I would win because I'm way much more of a dirty fighter. Um, well, no, no, she, no, she, she would win because she's a middle child and I'm an only child. So I actually do. I don't really know. I would like, you know, I intellectualize it all, and Asha would just like pop me one. <laughs> those middle those middle kids they you know they got a scrap to get through in life very very scrappy yeah i i um like what you said earlier too dave about giving people the the grace and i always add the grace and the space mm -hmm. to be able to tackle these issues together sometimes we will meet in a, a crossroads of our opinions and we need to step back and give each other time to think about it to go and talk to our other friends Talk to our spouses, lay it on our kids, see what they think, and then come back and discuss it again. Um, but I will agree with Allie. It's those side-by-side -side moments when we, I, I mean, and between her home and mine, and though we're in different states, it's become a commuter a commuter road for us. We're, we're often visiting each other, and we do put our matching pajamas on together. Um, but those mundane moments that Allie was talking about are those moments that create trust between the two of us as well to be open with our authentic selves and to trust that um, I trust that my writing partner will be gentle with that authentic self, will honor it, and will understand when I have an opinion to add to our writing. And sorry, can I just add one more thing? And I would have that grace and space. You know, we're writing about challenging topics as they play out in our world. So, you know, when we were writing in the spring of 2020, there had to be a lot of time and space um, for how Asha was experiencing it. And in the bigger world, but also with her two sons at home because of the pandemic, 
And in Seattle, there was a lot of chaos and her sons are out driving and, you know, all these very real things are happening at the same time we're trying to process and write about them. That is a lot to carry emotionally. And then in January, when January 6th insurrection happened and we were writing our second book and it's about, you know, a Jewish and black relationship. And, you know, there's all this news out in the world about the insurrection, but no one is even mentioning that there is a person that is constantly on repeat on the news wearing a t-shirt that says six million was not enough. And no one's commenting, no one's seeing that. But here we are writing about a Jewish character, but Asha sees it on behalf of me and recognizes it when it felt like no one else in the world was recognizing it. So that's a lot of, we have to carry and parcel through and support each other in the real world context at the same time that we're writing about it. And that can be tiring and, and hard for sure. Yeah. And I think, it, I think my, what I'm taking away from how you two described your creative process, Ali and Asha, is it seems like your friendship and your shared lives together, but also the lives that you're honoring and making space for and living outside, quote unquote, outside of your creative stories enrich the stories and make them so much more real and provide so much more depth, which is the beautiful part of experiencing these stories, especially to bring home, you know, full circle our conversation today um, about having these conversations, introducing themes and topics, even in a lighthearted and disarming manner about racial issues, social justice issues, um, choice, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, healthcare rights and, and women's rights writ large. Um, and on it goes, I, I, I think that there's a stereotype and misconception create for a lot of creative um, people or about creativity in our culture that creativity and stories are happen in this polite, convenient little bubble outside of life and that it can be an escape, um, but that the process of writing and creating them is also an escape from life. But I'm hearing quite the opposite, that there's it's all connected and it, I can't help but think that that enriches the stories that we get to experience through you both and can also enrich readers' lives by being sourced from real life and honored uh, and, and in honor of your real lives. So with that, um, and, and out of respect for your time, Ali Frank and Asha Humans, they are the authors of the new novel, The Better Half, which is available everywhere now. You can find Ali and Asha and all of their books at the very appropriately named website, AliandAsha.com. Ali and Asha, thank you so much for joining us on The New Story Is. I, I enjoyed this conversation thoroughly. All the best of luck in the future. And maybe we'll have you on when the next book or books are available. But no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> we'll be waiting, Dave. <laughs> thank, thank you, you both. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The New Story Is. My name is Dave Ursillo. We're so happy that you're here. We hope you're enjoying and benefiting from these intellectually stimulating, cerebral conversations uh, we also hope you find them uplifting and entertaining in their own way, too. If you're enjoying our work, please share this podcast with a friend or leave us a rating and review, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. You could just click through, see where it says the new story is with Dave Ursillo, scroll down to the bottom on Apple Podcasts, 
and give us that five-star rating to help others know that our work is truly worth listening to. And we thank you for your support. Until next time, my friend, thank you again for listening. Story on, stay well. Bye for now.